Hi, my name is John Katsavos and welcome to the Fitness Oracle. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about the secret of how to drop 10 to 15 pounds and keep it off with complete ease. I've created a free three-part video series for you that explains what the three biggest mistakes people make when they're working out and limits them to the results that they're going after. I am also going to help you get all the details about how you can immediately sign up to the 21 day caveman challenge, which is a do it for you workout program. This has been developed by me for over 11 years of my experience as a professional personal trainer. So go ahead, put in your name and your primary email address, click the link in the show notes below right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people just like you, with real stories just like yours, and this is one of their stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Rich Cadden from Chuck D Academy. He is a former two-time world champion in Muay Thai kickboxing. He's the commissioner at the Worldwide MMA Commission, and he manages He's the managing director, excuse me, managing director and CEO at Star Performance Mind Coach, Mind Coaching. He's a performance coach and he's the owner of Chuck D Academy. And he is a husband and a proud father. Rich, welcome to the show. Hello, sir. No, it's great. It's great to be welcomed on and invited on. Um, I can't wait to get stuck into some questions. Awesome. So, how is Chuck D? Uh, coming along with uh, with a re- with the reopening well yeah i mean every, everyone's starting to come back now and and uh, we're, we're starting to get into the, the the flow of all the classes and and you're seeing a little bit of apprehension and um people kind of breaking out with that fear narrative but but yeah every, everything everything's starting to pick up momentum and, and we're starting to fight our way back awesome that's really great that's really great to hear um especially with all the, the uncertainty that we've been through for the past year. So how is Ireland coming, you know, handling with everything? Are they, are you guys opening up again? Um, I'm, I'm in the UK. I'm in, I'm in Yorkshire in, in England. So sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and yeah, we we keep getting um, certain threats through mainstream media saying about all these different, different variants and, and, um, almost bringing in a certain level of uncertainty, um, but yeah, I mean, there's if you're if you're willing to be manipulated by that fear, um, then then it sometimes it shakes people. Um, but after after our first lockdown, um, I, what I found was that my my own insecurity was then being reflected by my students, by, my, by the, the, the clients coming into the gym. Um, and so I was like, right, okay, that was a, that was a, it was a rough night, the very first night that we started back. And I recognized how this 
internal self-talk within myself was being reflected by other people. And then we're, we're all at that kind of point of almost uncertainty and a, a lack of confidence. Um, so as, a, as, they, as, a, as the coach, as the leader, I'm, that, that doesn't make me immune to all, all these things that are, the, these fear narratives that are being pushed. Um, and I had to have a word with myself. I had to, I had to sort, my own, sort my own head out. And um, yeah, we, we, now that we've changed that around uh, and people are, are kind of more relaxed about coming into the gym and, and they've got um, they've got confidence and belief in our in our, in our systems and protocols. Um, yeah, we're 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 cooking on gas now. That's amazing. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, wish we had the, the stuff to do, you know, that here because I miss my martial arts too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it has been tough. Um, is it not not to say that um, I didn't go through some some dark times myself? I mean, I mean, I had uh, had a three year rental agreement hanging over my head. Um, we were talking in the region of like eighty thousand pounds that I was that I was liable for. Um, that if if my if if my gym closed down. Um, the the landlord could still come after me for for eighty thousand pounds. It was a uh, yeah, it was a, it was a bit twitchy, a bit nervous. Um, wow. But oh, we was able to, to uh, was able to turn it around, and we 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 adapted the business. And my 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 wife, um, she works with us at, at the gym. Um, she took a, a really strong lead on that, and um, yeah, she's she, to be honest, not no, she's she's recognised the benefits of like online coaching, and she's reaching hundreds more hundreds of of, of women now um, through this online medium um, because they don't have to come to the gym, uh, and it w- fits in with the um, like mum's busy lifestyles. Well, that's amazing. That's really so, amazing. So yeah, we, we've been been able to drag some positivity out of these out of these restrictions. Great, great. That's always a that's always a plus when you can pull something negative out of, well, when you can pull something positive out of a negative situation. Certainly, certainly. Um, I've never competed in martial arts, but I my I've been in martial arts in and out since I was eight years old. It's almost. 34 years now. Don't do the math. Uh, I was, I was, I was going to say 24. <laughs> but um, what was the biggest struggle that you've had on your journey up until the point where you got to your first world title? Because that was a, that's a huge accomplishment accomplishment for any martial artist, like getting that oh, first world title. Yeah. I, I mean, like I say, I, I started with a few different martial arts. So um, I started off in judo. Um, had a had a play with 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 kickboxing and IK jiu-jitsu and and a couple of others um, before I found Muay Thai. And I essentially found Muay Thai pretty late. I started Muay Thai when I was eighteen. Um, and a lot of people were saying, "Oh well, Thai boxers they live a live a live a hard lifestyle," and and you. You're pretty much retired by the time you're 
26, 27, 28. Um, so it's only a short career. Um, and so I think my the, the the martial arts side of things was was one angle, but then also the the toughness that I had from my my rugby career um, kind of stood me in good stead of being willing to take a few hits along the way and and not only the the, the physical toughness but also the the determination that's required as well. Um, I think I think that's the that's probably one of the the biggest lessons that I had to had to go with uh, along the way. Um, funnily enough, I was just talking to Liam Harrison the af- this afternoon. He's one of my stable mates. And, um, yeah, we, we was talking about one of our Thai coaches, and he was absolutely brutal with our level of, of competence when it came to, when it came to Muay Thai. And he's got his, he's got his, his own percentage scale of, um, how good you are as a as a Thai boxer. Now, if you if you're winning, um, if you're if you're winning uh, like European, like national European world titles and things like that, you, you're thinking that you're getting kind of pretty much pretty much there. But even after winning my first world title, uh, I went went back and I was talking to my Thai coach Rajasak, and and, and he was like, yeah, okay. First world title, you're you're fifty percent. You're fifty percent of it on your on your on your journey. It was like, wow, okay. So all all this, which you think is like a is like a peak, is then saying that you're only halfway there. So so it's like, well, you, you're in it for the long haul now. This is this is this is where you have to you have to keep rising to the occasion every time, and no matter how much you put in, that's merely the qualification to then compete at that next level. So you, you, you've, you've may, maybe heard um, terminology and, and, and people saying that there's, there's levels to this. There's levels to this business. Well, this is, this is what we're talking about when, when we get into levels. Um, in order to qualify to that next level of competition, that's the level of commitment that you have to put in. And that's the only the entry level at that next next height, that next stage. So, um, yeah, just finding that mental resiliency and, and, and toughness to, to 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 roll with that is a is a is a massive thing. And I think that that mental toughness has to be the um, has to has to be one of the biggest lessons. I think that's that that's that's so true in so many different ways because I'm like that. Like um, I'm always like I'm always looking at the next peak. But do you think that it's important that once you reach that peak and you're looking at the next mountain ahead, it's important to start celebrating? Like when you like, what was the feeling that 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 feeling that you had when you won that first title? Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, it was funny because I'd been out in Thailand for around around a month at that point. Um, I was I was li- I was living in the gym. Um, I was training six seven hours a day, so I'd, I'd do like three hours on a morning and then three four hours on a night. Um, and 
I was the I was one of the only Westerners there at this time, and there were, there was there are this there, there was one Australian guy that they used to come in and, and train out every now and again. I'd maybe see him maybe once twice a week, uh, and but that was my only contact with 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 Westerners with it with English speaking people, um, and and that that in itself made me very. Um, almost introvert and very kind of self-reflective. Um, but the, the the beauty of fighting at, fighting for this world title, fighting at, the, at this at this elite level, um, is that the the fight was streamed on Thai Global Network. Um, it's a, an international t- um, TV channel. It was beamed to fifty odd countries around the world. Um, and unfortunately, my, my, my friends back in the UK um, had a, the Thai satellite TV station uh, and they were able to tune into it. One of the, the as I was getting the belt put around my waist, um, I remember kind of clenching my fist and closing my eyes and like, I can't believe I'm at, the, I'm at, this, I'm at this point. The, and... My uh, one of one of my friends, he said he sent me a text afterwards. He says, I saw your mouth in the words, I can't flipping believe it. Um, and I kept that on my phone for about 10 years. It, it was uh, it was it was one of it was one of those kind of fantastic moments that, that couldn't have been captured in any other way. Um because like I say, I hadn't spoken to any of my friends for uh, around a well probably six, eight weeks at that point. Um, and, and yeah, just to, just to get that, that text message and see it on, on, on like international TV where it was, was fantastic. That's, that's great. And then the reality came in saying, you know, <laughs> the next peak is right there. Well, how, what, yeah. at what, at yeah. what point in, in, in that journey between you realizing that there's a higher peak to, from you celebrating, like how long did you take to celebrate that one victory? <laughs> well, uh, in, in, uh, in Thailand, the, the Thai boxing is, um, it's a business. Um, in the, in the UK, within, within the, the camaraderie within the gym, um, our coach, uh, Richard Smith, always used to say, you get the 24-hour rule. And within that 24 hours, yeah, if you, if you win, you're fantastic. We'll, we'll blow, blow sunshine up your ass for 24 hours and fantastic, well done. Now it's time to move on. But in, in Thailand, because, it, because it's a, a business, you get about an hour. You get about about an hour of, of, of grace. You get about an hour of, of, of compliments and congratulations and pats on the back, um, and then you wake up the next day and it's back to business. Um, so so yeah, I mean it, it's you don't get much time to celebrate because it's so, there's such a, a fast turnover, um, a really fast turnaround, uh, and the. The association wanted me to defend the the world title every three months, um, because I was unable to. Um, I was I was able to do that for the for the first defense, but then I wasn't able to defend it after that. 
Um, so I ended up getting stripped of that that first world title, and then they had to win it back again. Um, like for for me, that's that's one of my one of my things. I like to do things in twos just to prove that the first time wasn't a fluke. Um, so so yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a high pace, and you you don't get much time to rest on your laurels. That's cool. That's cool. So what eventually got you into Muay Thai? Um, yeah, like, like I said, I was, I was into, um, I was already involved with, with, with martial arts from a, from a young age. Um, I did judo from when I was, uh, about seven or eight years old. Um, I played rugby. Um, so I was always kind of a, a rough and tumble kid. Um, and yeah, it, it was, it was just that kind of constant pursuit of better. I was, I was always looking for, for that, um, looking for that next challenge. Um, and then when I, when I, when I left judo and, um, my, my rugby contract got, got canceled. Um, I was like, well, what's my, what's my, what's my next stage? What, where is my, um, where is my efforts going to be best rewarded? Um, and this is, this is when I started looking around and I, and I, it was at the, around this time that, um, so that'll have been probably 90, around 96, 96, 97. Um, and around this time, like UFC was just kind of kicking off and, and um, I picked up a, a video in, in one of the local stores um, and it was the Valetudo Championships. Um, and watching the, the, the these Valetudo fights on on VHS um it, it was it was it was it was a light bulb moment that there's like these these other avenues and they started talking about Muay Thai on there a lot of the a lot of the Brazilian guys on these Valetudo world championships were coming from a Muay Thai background and I, and I was like okay so I started doing a bit of digging about Muay Thai and the the only thing that was in my local city at, at that point where it was was kickboxing um and that was my that was my only avenue so i start, started off kickboxing i enjoyed that start i continue to kind of push and look around for these muay thai clubs um and then i end, ended up connecting with a with a guy who ran one class a week um uh, at the sports hall down in the center of town and I said, well, this is this is what I'm looking for. Um, how can I get to a level where I can where I can compete in this? I need to be training more. Um, he took me through my, my first couple of like amateur fights, and then says, well, if because you're pushing so hard, I'm going to have to take you over to to, to bad company, um, bad company gym over in Leeds, um, and then that's when I, that's where I started training, um, and this was my constant back and forth up and up and down the, the down the motorway it was around about a 45 minute journey down to to the to the next town um to to get this muay thai training uh, and everything kind of grew from there i, so I that, got that, sorry go ahead so so yeah that, that that's that's basically how I, how I really started well I was introduced to it in the, in my in my hometown, um, but my my Thai, 
like professional Thai boxing career kicked off when I when I started a bad company. Cool, cool. I got into Muay Thai because uh, I saw a movie. I thought it was cool, and I'm like, all right, time to time to check this out a little bit. Spent six months in it, and they brought out the baseball bat, and they're like, "Time to work on your shins." I'm like, "No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> not time to work on my shins." Bye, bye. Yeah, I mean, they, they, like for 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 me, the, I was very quickly was going out to Thailand, and um, I was getting involved in in the the, the train over there, and and at, at no point did anyone say about conditioning your shins and and, and things like that. Um, and so I started doing a bit of digging about the, this idea about using using bats and using like rolling pins on your on your shins to to deaden them off and and things. Um, and all it was down to was a misunderstanding of what was actually happening. So that so that that origin started off because somebody saw a the the guys that they the local massage place using like wooden sticks on the front of the on the just off center of the of the shin so that it's not on the bone it's on that muscle that runs up and down the front of your shin so if you just put your hands on the, on the front of your shin and flex your foot up and down you can feel that muscle working that's the muscle that they were actually massaging and they were trying to massage out any any knots or or any um, tightness there that you get through shin splints and things like that when you're doing lots of running and, and, and things, it's that muscle that gets worked. So, so because so of this average, like normal conditioning and also the um, self care and, and, and repair of the body, um, people thought that that was deadening the shins when in actual fact, it's just massage and it's just saving the, saving the thumbs. Just so, just so that you don't have to exert so much force with with the, the points of your thumbs, and your thumbs don't get tired. So it, it always makes me laugh when 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 people say about deadening the shins off and, uh, and uh, yeah, like <laughs> battering their shins up and down with bottles and 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 sticks and stuff like that. It's like we need a little bit more education around this. And thank you for that, because I did not know that. And I know like I've um, in my personal training practice, I specialize in uh, muscle in, in rehab, post rehab. And I know yeah. the muscle that you're talking about. It's, it's called the anterior tibialis. And yes, it is the number one cause of shin splints if it's not treated properly. And I did not know that. So, yeah. Thank, so thank you. So, yeah. That. This is this is this is what we're talking about. This is this is infotainment. Yeah, <laughs> this is awesome. I love it. Uh, you lived in Thailand for a little bit. Um, yes, I did. Yeah, I've visited Thailand, and I noticed. I think it was somewhere on your Facebook feed where I saw you saying that you were like the only Westerner that didn't really get taken by Bangkok, quote unquote. <laughs> And yeah, it's yeah. Easy. I'm telling you, it's easy to be taken by Bangkok. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it was a, it was a, it was always, it was a big joke when we had the uh, when when that became a thing on uh, the the Hangover. Like Bangkok's got him now, and 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 things like that. It was it was hilarious. Um, but yeah, it, I only found that out when I was 
when I started sending my students out to out to Thailand because I've, I've still got really close links with with Jitty Gym, and that's the that's the gym that I always go and train at. Um, still still close friends with with Jitty and, and all and all the guys over there. Um, but when I when I sent one of my one of my guys out to to train, he was by himself and he was expecting this kind of same level of um, kind of training dedication. Uh, I said that it was said that it was game to fight and everything, and so he was spending more time around the day, around the gym. And this is when he started to get into more conversation with Jitty, and obviously I, my uh, my training ethics kind of came up, uh, and it, this this is when the the message went out there that. That yeah, like even even some of the kind of elite guys get sucked into the party lifestyle. But like, I suppose this is where my where my geeky side comes in, and, and I'm 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 really really disciplined towards my training. That's uh, it takes a lot, I'll tell you. Like, Kosan <laughs> Road is easy. Like, it's oh, easy yeah. to get consumed by Kosan Road. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, uh, well, so, so my my boys were, were were dragging me out down Sukhumvit and and down down so far and so seven and stuff like that. And yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot of party joints down there around around cow, cowboy and and stuff. Like, yeah, let's let's just kind of leave that. Let's uh, let's push that to one side. It's good to know that it's there, but I'm here for a purpose. I'm I'm here to train, uh, and so I was I was able to. Uh, Kind of put that barrier in place. What was training like in Bangkok, in Thailand? Because I've heard from other people that it's very intense and there isn't much time to be doing stuff, some stuff like partying, for example. Yeah, I mean, um, the the I think there's a, there's there's some. Um, it depends on how hard you want to go. Yeah, it depends on how hard you want to train, um, and I think it's it's one of those. Well, if if you want to go for a like a a training holiday, then you can you can drop into training sessions and you can do the like Bangkok holiday thing where you you may not get up for the morning training or do the morning runs and and you can kind of section off enough of your day to have like a lazy morning and go like go to the go to the big big buffet breakfast at the hotel and 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 stuff like that um do a two-hour training session and then go out and have a enjoy a night around the around the town and and you can you can have a mutually beneficial holiday with it with a partner who who doesn't train However, if you if you're going there to to train professionally seriously, um, I'd always recommend st- like staying at a gym. You go and live in the gym, and then you live that like Thai boxer lifestyle. So, what that what this means is that you don't get any kind of creature comforts. You don't get air conditioning. Um, like basically, my 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 room was was a, a bed, a fan, and I had a, a little kind of nightstand where where I could like stack my clothes up and and that kind of thing, and that was it. So it's a very kind of sparse lifestyle. Um, 
every morning you'll be you'd be getting up around 6 30 um so you get get up put on your running gear um and our our average run was like three kilometers down to chatter chat park there's a three kilometer track around uh chatter chat park and then a, a three kilometer run back so you pro you could be doing 15 18 20 20 k every morning um now this is this isn't like high intensity running you're probably running maybe um like nine minute miles so so the, the it's not a really high pace it's just low low level low intensity um but building up duration building up that gas tank and what the, what this does it builds up your like vo2 max um you build you build up your um like aerobic thresholds and you just have to embrace the grind and just keep putting one foot in front of the other um by the time you're getting back to the gym it's around kind of half past eight half past eight maybe quarter to nine in the morning um and then you 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 go and you wouldn't do any pads. You'd maybe do a bit of bit of touch sparring or a bit of bag work. Um, you'd do probably three, four, five hundred sit ups, um, chin ups, maybe a bit of bag work, stretch off, uh, and you'd be finishing off training around like half past nine, half past nine ish. Um, so you've so you've done like three hours, around three hours training for at that at that point um you go and have a shower um get changed go downstairs and um and have breakfast at the at the gym um they always had fantastic breakfast at the at the gym where we stayed at a at like a living cook and everything um and and they were like the the, the meals were amazing then on average, you'd have from probably eleven o'clock in the morning to like three in the afternoon as your kind of personal time. But if you're training, if you're training hard on a the morning, then you spend that like middle of the afternoon, like a, a good two three hours, having a having a sleep in the afternoon as well. Um, this kind of kicks in with and aligns with your circadian rhythm. So with it, with your like afternoon like afternoon slump you embrace the slump and, and that's how you maximize your maximize your recovery so therefore you can then go hard again when it gets to three o'clock um and then you back out and you're training like three through till six six thirty sometimes seven p.m um and that's a that's a mixture of 30 40 minutes skipping um with a with a heavy rope before your before your pad work, then there'd be sparring and clinch work and bag work, um, and then some like low level low level cardio stuff, doing like push kicks up against the wall. Um, there'd be some like maybe some one on one time with one of the trainers, and the, the, they'd have a look at your your style and make some small corrections, um, and then it get to like half six seven o'clock. Um, go and have a shower, get changed, come downstairs, have your evening meal, and then you'd be in bed for probably half eight, nine o'clock in the evening. Um, so you was 
you you was getting around nine hours sleep every night and and <laughs> you needed it you really needed that sleep and so you'd have like nine hours sleep um in the in the evening and then you'd maybe get like two hours sleep in the in the middle of the day and this is when when you're pushing really hard when you're training really hard um but like I say, it doesn't it doesn't have to be as as intensive as that. Um, it's a it's a sliding scale of how much you want to commit, um, and be careful what you wish for because if you say that you want to train hard, then you'll 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 be pushed hard. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, and it's interesting that you actually said that that kind of training goes in line with the circadian rhythm because it really does like you have to do the most amount of work in the morning because that's when our cortisol levels are at its peak. So uh, I really like the way that how they actually put the the majority of the training in the morning with that lull in the afternoon and light training at night, because that's exactly what happens with cortisol levels. I did something on yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I mean um, again, so sometimes this changes, and and what um, what some people perceive to be low level, and what other people perceive to be low level are, are, are different things. So, so yeah, be be careful with your expectations. There. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> um, does this tie in with everything that you do, especially with the sports performance stuff? Um, yeah, yeah, because like like we were saying, one of the one of the reasons why I kind of fell out of fell out of love with 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 rugby was that when I went from playing professional rugby and playing professional sport, um, having that um, kind of peek behind the curtain towards um, elite level sport and professional level sport um, with a massive amount of sports science and um, and and protocol behind it. I was able to apply that directly to myself and, and reap the benefits of that. Um, and this is where my attitude towards holistic coaching has kind of come in. So not only is it um, like they communicate the communicate uh, the the technique side of things. Well, there's the strength of conditioning, there's the nutrition, there's the rest and recovery, uh, and it and it's been able to balance all of those from a with a with an organized mindset, and then also being being aware of your internal dialogue where when when you're going through these uh, when you're going through these challenges, um, and this, like I said, this, this is where I kind of reap the benefits of it um, of the professional coaching from rugby being able to apply that directly to myself um, when, I, when I moved over into and applied it in Thai boxing. Because mm-hmm. um, this is like an extraordinarily complex and massive subject when it comes to like peak physical performance, like what area do you specialize in in this? Um, so I would, I would say that my, speciality is would be on the purely technical side of things of, of, of Muay Thai um, and and then the the mindset side of things 
Um, so the internal dialogue, the um, kind of reframing of ideas and challenge, like challenging beliefs around what you what you think is the correct mode of action, um, and then leaning on the coaching style as well. So within 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 my coaching, I have a have a trinity. So so my 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 trinity of, of beliefs around coaching is that it's all about relationships. So around the relationship, first of all, me and the me and the client, me and the fighter have to be have to be on good terms. We have to be in it. We have to have the the, the mutual respect and 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 have a, a, a freedom of conversation. And there's there's a there's a balance within that. Um, secondly, is about the the client or, or fighter putting in a hundred percent. So they're being judged on on effort mm-hmm. and rather than rather than results. So so long as so long as we we've got clear communication and we're both putting in a hundred percent, then the results is the is the third line in the fact that everyone wants to win. But notice that that comes third down the line. The results is is kind of is is a is a the the third level, um, because the thing is is that me me and the fighter can be can be good working together. We can put in a hundred percent together, um, and the and people can put in kind of peak performances. But then sometimes that's that's just that's fighting. Sometimes the cookie crumble, the cookie doesn't crumble our way, um, and there has to be a, a, an element of um, we don't we don't put all our eggs in one basket. If we lose, then everything's shot. No, there, there has to be a level of acceptance that there's there's wiggle room. There, there's there's things that are within our control and things that aren't within our control. And sometimes judges have their own issues as well. And they, they, this, this opens up a whole, whole new avenue of debate when you start bringing in all these kind of objective and subjective matters when it, when it comes to the scoring criteria and how well educated the, the judges are, um, whether they're looking for um, the performance of, of, of one of the one of the people and, and, and favourites being picked out in, in promotion, promotions and, and things like that. Um, sometimes, like I say, sometimes the, uh, the game doesn't go your way and, and there has to be a men, mental resiliency um, to, to deal with that. Interesting that you would say that because it it's it it kind it can because something like this can actually fall directly in place with somebody working in an office where you know you and your supervisor may have a great idea but then you take it to your manager and then all of a sudden he's like no I don't like it because of uh, whatever. Now this yeah. is this is all based off of like having a proper mindset on. The individual as a supervisor or a coach to be able to say, you know what, okay, how, uh, you know, we didn't get it, whatever. How would you deal with a fighter um, who put in the time, put in the effort, you knew he, he or she was going to win, but the refs just didn't give them the match 
<laughs> um, I mean, it's it's always tough. It's always tough because, like I say, we we even with everything aligned, everyone still wants to win. And after after the match, you turn around and you you see people that um, that did that didn't buy a ticket or or whatever, and they'll say, "Oh, how did the fight go?" You said like, "Oh yeah, um, I did really well, but I lost." They only hear that you lost. They don't, they don't care about the effort. They don't care about the um, about the, the the relationship. They don't they don't, they don't care about about all that ancillary stuff. Um, so so yeah, like I say, it, it's tough. But for the for the fighter, there has to be an element of ownership. Uh, and 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 this is this is one of the um, one of the things that I've taken on board from from Jocko Willink um, is, is this kind of extreme ownership concept. So and even even when things don't go to plan, even when things don't go your way, there has to be a, le- a certain level of ownership in order to kind of get past that. Um, so if there may be things that you're just not aware of. There, there may be angles towards the promotion. So um, prime example is that at the, at the moment I've got, I've got a, a fighter that, that's getting ready to fight on a, on a certain promotion. Um, and and the, the promoter chooses who he wants to nurture as a, as a, as a, as a star. And then he only promotes one person out of the, out of the matchup. Therefore, that's already influenced in the judges to say, this is the guy to watch out for. The, the, other, the other person is just like a, a, a co-star. They're not the lead star. So there's, there's subtle influence that, that, that's involved in the, in the promotion idea. Um, and we have to understand that there's a, there's a certain um, mentality, mentality and influence that, that's, that's involved around that. So that, that's the, that's the roles, roles and responsibilities of the, uh, of, the, of the promoter. So when we can get justification for maybe a, a skewed result, um, you say, right, okay, well, if this is, this is what we're up against, then we're not going to have to leave it to the judges. Even, even though you may know that you've, um, you've done really well and you, you've, you've won the match and you've obligated your, uh, your, your roles and responsibilities as a, as a, as a fighter. You, you've checked all the, all the boxes on the specification of the, of the rules, uh, of the rules um, of how the fight is going to be judged. You leave it to the judges. This is where the, the twist of ideas can, can then, can then, Come into play, so you're going to say, "Well, I don't trust the level of judging that's been applied, so I can't leave it to the judges." So even if you know that you're winning, you're going to have to make it super obvious. Um, you're going to have to find many different angles in order to 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 sway that that judge and that 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 influence. Um, if this is happening in the in the office, 
managing down is easy because you can be authoritarian and you can tell people what to do. Managing up is difficult because you have you, you don't want to offend the ego. Um, you're going to have to be very delicate with how you challenge. Um, and when you're challenging a mindset, I'd say, well, I, th- I think there's, there's alternative ways that we could go about this. Well, no, we're doing it this way. Well, if if um, if we if we if we go about it and do it and do it this way, then then I can see potential problems all, along the way, um, and you can start flagging up areas of areas of conflict. This is like I say at the, at the moment. I'm just kind of spitballing ideas. Um, so That's great. So that, yeah, there's certain challenges that you're gonna have to put in, but then being able to do that in a linguistically software so so yeah under, understand the uh, understand the angle take the facts don't be too blunt with it don't don't just plow in with a with a big right hand and and, and try and enforce your way just think about questioning so questioning is powerful because it exposes belief so when you when you when you ask a question there's a, there's a certain rationale and a certain criteria, and the boss might tell you that there's something that you weren't aware of that's influenced his decision. So, taking it back to the promoter, well, the promoter is choosing to promote this one guy because he he sells ten times the tickets, and the promoters in the in the in the in the world of making money so so if, if he's if he's selling if he's if this guy is selling more tickets than than the other guy then of course he's going to try and promote and, and make him his little superstar that's just the way it goes mm-hmm. so yeah there's 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 areas of influence and it's not always down to the strict scoring criteria of the sport there's sometimes a financial influence as well absolutely absolutely you also um, you also do stuff with people's nutrition, which I find really, really great because it's it's hard to find uh, people that are trying to help everybody in all aspects of health. So um, you know probably as well as I do, everybody everybody struggles with food. Everybody struggles with it. How do you you have this one concept, food on the plate? What do you mean by that? Okay, so um, so when we're talking about food on plate solutions, um, it's basically as a as a nutritionist, uh, as a, as someone that's into 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 diet, what we what we need to know is right. Okay, let's look at your let's look at your height, look at your size, look at your Look at your age. Look at your metabolic rate. What? How many calories do you need on a daily basis? Um, we can get involved with the numbers, with activity levels, and uh, and applying that to your metabolic rate. Um, so then we get a total calorie intake, and then say, right, okay, well, if I want to lose a little bit of weight, let's cut it down by this much. And following the science, following the numbers. Um, you should, in theory, you should lose weight um, 
like taking it, taking the, the, the figures, you could average it on like a, for the sake of argument, we'll talk it a pound a week. Okay. Well, that's very academic. It's very number heavy. Um, and a lot of people aren't into science. A lot of people don't correlate the, the numbers with the food that's actually on the plate. And there's almost a, a, a disconnect there. So when you start talking, right, okay, well, I need, I need to have, um, I don't know, like 40 grams of protein in this meal and, and with, with balance with the carbs and the fats that are, that are involved. Right, okay. Well, what do those numbers look like when it's actually on my plate? So when, we're, so when we're getting this idea of food on plate solutions, you can say, well, there's no, well, <laughs> the, let's make it really simple and say, like, the, there's no pure protein sources. So even, even, even within a, a portion of meat, which is probably, which is protein heavy and protein dense, there's still elements of carbohydrate and still elements of fats within that portion of meat. Within a, a portion of pasta or a portion of rice, yes, that's carb heavy, but there's still small elements of protein and small elements of fat. And so when you start playing with these numbers, it's like it, it can be a, can be a bit of a, a, a disconnect. And it becomes too much, too much like calculation, too much balancing. Essentially, people want simple answers. Like, I don't want to know what the numbers are. Just tell me what to eat. What what has to go on my plate? You tell me what to put on my plate. I'll put that on my plate, and then we'll and then the the science should support itself. So when we're talking about food on plate, it, it's trying to almost detach the science from it, detach the numbers from it. So then the client doesn't really have to think about the numbers. They just need to go, right, I need 20 grams of rice with this meal. And then also have a trust in your, in your judgment call over saying, well, have I put tw exactly 20 grams on there? Or have I put 22 on and gone, well, I'm, I'm not going to care too much about that. It's the level of detail that you apply to the food on plate solutions, which therefore gets the results. And and, the, and this, is, this is what we're trying to essentially get to, is make the answers simple. Um, so therefore, when there's less thinking, there's just adherence to the protocol that's been established. I love it. Simplicity at its finest. And that's that, what that, I, that's what I picked yeah. up. I'm like, that's, that's beautiful. That's amazing. That's great. <laughs> uh, we're going to be switching gears a little bit. Uh, we're going to be talking about the ACA and the UFC commissioning. Um, I don't know if too many people out there know what happened 
think it was back in November with ACA 100 with yeah. uh, Nermatov's uh, passing because of the stroke, I think. Do you think that this put a dark cloud in, on the sport? Um, obviously a very terrible time and, and, and um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's tough to talk about. Um, I mean, it was, a, it was at the ACA 100. Um, it was in, it was in Grozny. It was in Chechnya. The, the president was there. Um, it was, it was a, it was a high level event. Um, and yeah, it's, it's always, always sad with any, any level of passing. Um, but then also the adherence to following the, the like weight loss protocols, weight cutting protocols. Um, I don't know. I don't want to get involved with the, um, I don't know the full modalities of what was, what was kind of established in, in the, in the reports afterwards. Um, but whenever there's a, whenever there's a passing, it's always, it's always terrible. Yeah. Um, it always, um, every time some, I hear something like this coming out of the fighting world, for some reason, there's a whole bunch of people on one side saying, oh, they should ban this. They should ban that. It's like, well, in the past 10 years, there has been one hockey player that passes from a heart condition coming off the ice, sitting on the bench. And you, we don't hear about anything like that in in uh, in mainstream media. But something like this happens in the fighting world. It's like everybody's coming down on it, and nobody really understands the importance of martial arts in men's in men's mental health. It's it's critical for us to have this kind of out expression of self. Like I've yeah. been in martial arts my entire life since I was eight years old. If I didn't have martial arts, I would not be sitting here talking to you right now. Yeah. That's and this is one incident in thousands of fights that are happening around the world on a monthly basis. And it's like when they when they put this 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 spotlight on it, it's like, yes, as you said, it is a sad, tragic event that we lost a human being. But to put the spotlight on an event that did this is wrong. In my eyes, it's wrong. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's not, it's not the sport. It's it's people, um, and people are always going to try and win, and they're going to try and find ways of um, looking for an advantage. And this may be through um, weight cutting protocols and, and and things like that. But then at the at the end of the day. This isn't tiddlywinks. This this isn't this isn't this isn't checkers. We're, we're, this is full contact competition. This is full contact fighting, and the the risk is part of the allure. Um, I mean, I I feel I feel difficult. I feel awkward, kind of talking around talking around it, because there's elements of um, kind of toxic masculinity and, and being 
bringing bringing bravado in and, and stuff like that um and like to, to kind of turn from from point break he said it's it's not tragic to die doing what you love well there's 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 elements of that but it's still tragic um and yeah i mean it's there's some even even in modern day combat sports um we've still got warriors out there people that are willing to put everything on the line uh, and they're willing to take risks and um, i haven't seen anyone achieve anything through levels of mediocrity so I always say to keep pushing pushing that pushing that window um, and the science has to adapt and 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 support us in in this pursuit only only last last week I was talking to a um, kickboxing promoter a kickboxing official um, who was talking around um, Kamotiokodosis, um, so the, the, the like sudden death syndrome, um, and saying that this happens with, with impacts to the chest, um, and saying that this is just as dangerous as as concussions. Well, he, he was he was banging this drum uh, about sudden death syndrome because he he's been in it, uh, and as soon as I found that out, I was like, okay, I I understand it. It must be it's. It's tragic that you've had to go through that. My deepest sympathies. But when you look at the facts and figures of the situation, um, I hadn't heard of this in, in, in 35 years of martial arts. Um, he told me about it, but it was never publicised. Um, and, it, and it's, like I say, it's, it's tragic. Um, but let's not have knee-jerk reactions to freak accidents let's look after people that have a on a on a like on a risk assessment form when you've got the um potential damage over uh, the regularity there's 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 more regularity of a uh, of a concussion and, and head injury yes it's not getting to the point of fatal but it's still causing um, brain damage and 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 um, degenerative brain disease and, and things like that. Now the studies are, are, are showing that there's um, the studies are showing that there, there's there's a there's a there's a downward trend because of the the level of science that that's now being applied into combat sports. Um, there's closer protocol over seeing that there are these dangers. Um, and it, it's only through like over the over the past week, this is this is something that I've been I've been touching on to introduce with, with some of my fighters in that I'm doing um, concussion tests. So so if I have a baseline of information, if I have a baseline of information to assess concussion damage so like these 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 concussion tests are um can you how long can you stand with your with your eyes closed how long can you stand on two legs without losing balance how long can you stand on one leg without losing balance 
how long can you stand on one leg on foam on a on a foam floor? How long can you stand on a on two legs on a foam floor? Once you get this baseline data baseline level of data, that can then be used to measure if he gets concussed or he suffers a, a head injury, then we can keep monitoring that until he's hitting the same figures again. Therefore, it, the, the, the things that we're measuring are therefore protecting the fighter to, to then move, move forward in his, in it, in his pursuit to, to, to play combat sports. This is, this is something that I, I wasn't introduced to. It, it was just a, a case of, well, okay, you've been, you've been concussed, 28 days off, and then, then you can get back to get back into it. There was no monitoring over over concussion injuries when when I was competing, um, and this just shows the the level of application to sports science that that's now been now been introduced. Uh, you kind of just answered my next question: Is do you think that the um, the science has improved from back, let's say, twenty years ago? A hundred percent. Well, uh. Like I said, one of the, one of the things that um, that that triggered this this introduction is the, the the stuff that I've been doing with UFC Performance Institute. Um, I've, I've got one of their one of their manuals. They, they've just released their um, volume two manual, um, which analyzes all the data of all the fights that have happened between 2017 and and 2020. Um, so you've got three years of UFC fight nights and the, the, the numbered UFC events. Within that, the, they've, they've had sports analysts breaking it down into modalities of how many, how many punches are, are being thrown per round, um, how many takedowns, how many takedowns from clinch, how many takedowns from, from range, um, What's the what are the chances of um, submission um, and getting all this data together to then extrapolate that down the line of saying well these are the injuries that are that are generally caused through through grappling these are the injuries that are caused through through striking um, what are the what's the likelihood of the of all those injuries that happen through striking. How many people end up with a with a broken nose, with a broken orbital, um, end up with a I don't know, maybe broken jaw or, or broken rib or, or something. Um, so at the moment, I'm around seventy pages into this four hundred and eighty page manual, and I'm going through this manual to say, right, okay. This is how it's going to di- now direct my coaching for the, for the guys that are for the guys that I'm coaching. Say right, okay, well, the majority of the time, sixty um, percent of the time of in UFC level MMA fights, sixty um, percent of the time is spent striking. Okay, so that's how we tailor our training. Sixty percent of the time you do it, you're doing striking to to then. What are the applications of that? Is it striking from stood up? Is it striking from the floor? Is it striking the, a, a grounded opponent? Is it is it striking to then get into the wrestle? Is it striking to get into the clinch? 
Um, is it striking to then shoot? Um, and the data then leads to the coaching. And this is, this is the beauty of having more and more data and more and more sport scientists involved in the sport because then the sport's going to improve. My question was going to be basically, so do you think that this kind of level of coaching with this amount of data could actually help limit the amount of injuries that these athletes uh, are going to be exposed to? Well, it, I, I, think, I think it is because, um, well, what we're now finding is that there's um, around 60, 60 to 70% of the of fights are now going to decision. Well, if they're going to decision, then the, then the matches must be closer. Well, if the matches are, if the matches are closer, then, then the, the technique levels are equally matched. The desire is still 100%. But then this is where personal interpretation on that then comes in. So as we're getting more and more data around the, the physical side of things, this is when it's then going to come back to the, to the mental aspects of how well they can hold their, 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 their steed, their, 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 their mental, um, how well they can hold their mental tenacity um, in the face of adversity. So we're going to be switching gears a little bit and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about like, you know, your gym and everything. So what's the big, what's, what has been the biggest challenge in running a martial arts gym? Cause that's something that's always appealed to me in my, since I was a kid. Um, <laughs> um, I would say it's the, the people skills it's the it's the personality it, it's the interaction and creating closer connections with more and more people and um how different people may interpret instructions differently so so the, this is this is where like communication styles comes in and we start creating um communication loops and getting feedback from people so it's not authoritarian being being told what they what they must do like this is a concept i wanted to have a little play with it um and and this is what's kind of leading on to um people taking ownership of their training so yeah like they they the, the technique stuff is the is the easy side. How people interpret the information and and then feed it back, can they still keep that level of clarity when they get punched in the face? <laughs> it's a <laughs> that can be a game changer. So it's like a, a lot of the time, like the first time people get punched in the face, it's like everything goes out the window and it's like <laughs> and everything goes a bit crazy. So. Um, there has to be a a level of like a sliding scale of of aggression, and there has to be levels of trust with people. And as a as a coach, I look for functioning partnerships. I look for people that want that that train well together. I don't look for the bully. I don't look for the for the big hard man. 
I don't look for the the, the guy that can beat everybody up and, and, and he's head and shoulders athletically better than everybody that's there. Everybody raises their game together. So when there's a bit of empathy or flexibility around the rules, so sometimes like when, it, when, when people are sparring, I'll, I'll go over to the more advanced guy and say, you need, you need to work on your, you need to work on your defense. So, and to the, to the less advanced guy, I'll turn around and say, you need, you need to build your confidence up in order to hit somebody. And when you're, when you're faced with an advanced guy, okay, you can hit him as hard as you want. And then, and the, and you see their eyes light up and they, and the more advanced guy goes, right. Okay. Well, I, I know I need to be switched on here because it's going to be coming at some like unorthodox angles and things are going to be like at a crazy tempo. And the, and, and so can you keep your resiliency? Can you keep your calmness in, in the face of a, of a, an aggressive attack, knowing that you're only allowed to defend. So, and, and this is this is this is where we can start playing some games at the gym. Um, so yeah, they, these are the these are the challenges, and I, I pose these challenges within within the gym to the guys, like when they when they're sparring and um, like introduce an idea. Right now, it's up to rather than just like get on with pad work. Um, so can you introduce that idea and that concept into your pad work drills? And that's the genesis point of learning. Can you apply it into your um, can you apply it into your into your game plan already? It's interesting. You said a lot of interesting things right there. I want to touch up on on some of them. But um, in Sistema, like I practice Sistema and um, one of the first things that we do to people is we just punch them as hard as we can. Let them deal with because it's it, it's like the first time that you really get punched hard. You really have to deal with a lot of emotions with yourself. Yeah, and it's yeah. like a lot of people they're not used to that kind of level of emotion, and it's like you gotta just yeah. remind them breathe, calm down, <laughs> breathe, and when they calm down, you punch them hard again. <laughs> Well, I, that's 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 one way, but uh, from a uh, knowing that you're running a martial arts gym and also a business, sometimes it's not good. A, it's not a good business model. No. Um, so, so I, I like from a, um, I think from a coaching perspective, um, I sometimes come depend depend on the individual. Um, I sometimes come from a softer angle and say, right, okay, I'm going to touch you, literally touch your forehead with, with the, with my gloves. I won't even feel the, the foam compress on my glove. And I'm just going to touch to your forehead and they still blink. That blink is, is a, is a reflex that we need to break. So can you keep your eyes open even when someone's just touching your forehead? And you'd be surprised at how many people can't keep their eyes open. This is, this is the, the, the blink reflex that then gets amplified later on when they start getting hit harder. So then as soon as someone starts to, starts to punch them, they close their eyes. Well, 
that has to start somewhere. There has to be a, a genesis point of a, of a of an idea of where we can redirect that thought process. So so we take we take that learning point and we say right okay, I don't want to do anything. I, I just want to take a take a punch to the to the forehead. Just touch. Can you keep your eyes open? Yes. Okay. Now do it. Two percent harder. Two percent harder. Two percent, and then we gradually ramp up, rather than go at hundred percent and do it again, do it again, do it again until until they learn. So, like I said, different schools of thought, and um, yeah, interesting ideas. It is, and I and honestly, I there isn't a martial art out there that I don't respect. I respect them all. I think they're all great. They all have. They all have. They're all beneficial for everybody out there. Um, but like, again, running a martial arts school, like I have been an instructor in Sistema and I've had to deal with my fair share of the, you know, big egotistical, you know, testosterone monsters. How would you deal with something like when, if somebody like that would walk into your gym? Um, we've, we've had a couple, um, Sometimes they can be guided. Sometimes they can be coached. Um, sometimes there's it's like with the with the jujitsu guys. Um, we have there's a, there's always the instructor that can kind of sit back, and then we have like my enforcers, uh, the people that are going to keep keep the troops in line. Um, and they they know they know their roles, um, and it just takes a, a little nod from the from the instructor to say yeah, put it on him a bit, and then they're like let him experience the pressure. Um, and yeah, like I don't, I've I don't think I've ever had anyone kind of get to the point where things have things are just escalating beyond control. Um, it, I think it's always it's always been managed. That is a sign of a good uh, teacher and a very good school, because in my experience, teachers and in, in schools that can't manage that, they're not very good. But if a if a teacher in a school can actually manage, you know, the big guys, the egotistical guys, that's a good sign. So, thank you. Thank you. I had to choke the guy out. So <laughs> I had to choke one out. Like he put me up on his shoulders and I just literally just wrapped around and just choked him. And he fell. He was like <laughs> yeah. towering over me. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you obviously still keep ties with your, with, uh, with the school out in Thailand. Um, yeah. And you obviously, You obviously understand the whole concept of, you know, no man is an island. Now, yeah. especially with the whole with the whole restrictions with travel, how have you been coping? Um, for me, I've been through my own journey and 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 been through some dark places and stuff like that, and and having my 
having my, my, my family around us and, and my, my wife around us. Like my wife works at the gym as well. Um, she, she's, she's fantastic. She like, sometimes I'll get these like crazy ideas and we'll, we'll bounce ideas back and forth uh, and she'll, she'll kind of rein me in um, and say, that's, that's probably a bit too far. You don't need to be doing that. And it, it's, uh, it's a good leveler. Um, and I, and I think sometimes when you're, when you've been to some like elite levels or, or you, you, you're a kind of free thinker, um, sometimes you need a certain level of grounding. Um, uh, and yeah, like the, my, my family and my wife around me, that's what's kind of kept me grounded. Um, from a from a network perspective, um, what I've recognised is that I've just kind of spawned my um, my own performance institute. So York, it's York Performance Institute, um, where I pull all these ideas together. It's stuff that I was always doing, um, but within the performance institute, what I recognise is that it, it's good to have a a level of understanding about these different areas. Um, but there's a lot of people out there, that, a lot of people within my within my network of friends that are absolute experts and um, like PhD level instructors um, that, are, that, have, that, are, that are fantastic with, with nutrition, um, fantastic on, on, on psychology and coaching and strength and conditioning. Um, and what I recognize is that, yeah, okay, I may be able to give people a GCSE level, like the, that's the, like a, a like an educational level, uh, like high school level instruction. But if people can abide by that base level of instruction, then I'll pass them on to these like university level instructors that are experts in their field. Um, this is one of the things that I've kind of pulled together with it, with this, with the the network within my performance institute. Um, so when I pass people on to my nutritionist, um, he expects them to be at a level where they can monitor calories, they can have the the meal discipline, um, the no portion control, and and that kind of thing. So he can get involved more on the like micronutrient side and and um, timing of meals side um and 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 things like that um and then like i said this is if you can abide by the calories right okay now move it on and let's take it to that next level of of, of instruction and this is what we've been talking about all the way through is this like there's there's levels to this so this has all come out of uh <laughs> COVID, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, a lot of people putting putting their information online um, and doing online coaching and, and things like that. It's it's meant that I've recognised my limitations, but also the the depth of my network. Um, I've got like a lot of the guys that that I knew they were fit. I knew they were strong. I knew they were into lifting to a certain degree, 
But then all of a sudden they're putting more and more information out there. And like a couple of the guys, I didn't even know they were doctors. They were doctors of strength and conditioning. They had PhDs in, in strength and conditioning. Um, and they were just that humble or, or, or maybe not marketing themselves that that well um, that I didn't even know. And so it's, it's, it's one of those where like, I didn't, I didn't even know you was a doctor of strength and conditioning. I didn't even know you'd done a PhD in this, in this stuff. It was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I know, I know you, you're good at it, but I didn't, I didn't know that, that depth of knowledge. Do you want to, do you want to work together? Do you want to, do you want to start building some, building some networks? I can, I can give people some like GPP stuff, some general physical preparedness. Um, but then when we start getting to the, more of the sport specific stuff and your, um, your, your strength and conditioning routines require um, closer monitoring. Um, that's when I, that's when I'll pass you on because I know my limitations. And, and like I say, it's this close network that we've, that we've now got um, where we can open this up for people and, and even if I start people off with it with a with a base knowledge, then there's a there's a time and a place to pass them on and, and say, well done, you're you've you've graduated this level of this level of instruction. Now go and speak to now go speak to this guy and he's gonna push you a little bit harder. That's great. And this how many how many of these programs do you have available for people? So um, at, the, at the moment we we've got the strength and conditioning program we've got the nutrition program uh and i i run the mental performance coaching program okay cool so um we're gonna we're coming close to the end of the show right now and these are the six uh six or seven questions that i ask all my guests uh just to get your insight on some of these questions uh with the increase in people suffering from depression from the lockdowns uh, what would be the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? Um, stay active. Monitor your lifestyle. Do a do a a, a little system check. Don't fall into the routine of just going. Well, I'm I'm, I'm stuck here on the sofa because sofas can be magnetic, and as soon as we break the idea of the magnetic sofa and you don't want to get up off, you don't want to get out of the house and, and things like that, things can start picking up momentum. And then there's a, an inertia with, with those habits. So what we need to do is recognize what's the one thing that we can do to break that inertia. Um, and generally it's, well, I can't think of it can't think of a time that it wouldn't be it's taking action you have to take action you have to do something so first of all if we do like a little system check of what your daily habits are make it mindful so that you can so that you can actually write it down recognize where your windows of opportunity are so just getting out for a walk doing something being a bit more active get some fresh air and then, then things can start moving in the right direction with, with some with some goal setting. That's awesome. Um, 
where do you see Chakti Academy in the next five years? Five years is a long time. Because uh, one of the one of the things that I like being um, being where we are is is the is how quickly we can we can change direction. How 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 deftly you can you can move. It's like in in tie boxing, how good your footwork is. Um, can you can you avoid an attack? Can you can you can you be can you adapt to the to the um, to to any to any threats? Um, I have dreams of, of of taking the the performance institute to 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 greater levels and greater depth, um, and I can see that being being a bit of a pivot point um, because I want to bring more sports involved underneath that. Um, at the moment, I can I can cater for combat sports because it's individuals. Um, but if we get into team sports, then we're gonna obviously gonna need a, a bigger venue to to deal with more people. That's great. Uh, what about you personally? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Um, I've got um, I've started writing a book. So that that's uh, it's a it's a tough old process um, writing the book. So um, yeah, I, I keep I keep kind of bouncing it in and in and out of that when I start getting the my my writing inspiration. Um, so that that's that's one avenue. Um, obviously, spending more time with with my family and and bringing bringing coaches on at the gym so that it frees up my time and I can spend a bit more time with a with a family um i like traveling so it, like get getting around getting around the world and and, and traveling to some far out places uh, it's uh, that's that's what i want to do um yeah well, i want to want to come over to the states again I, i've been been to the states a few times but it's it's huge and you never really get a a full like united states experience um I've been to Manhattan, I've, I've been to LA, um, and I've been to Hawaii. So it's, it's, it's a, uh, I haven't been down to Florida or, or been, been to like the Texas or, or, uh, or anywhere like that. So the, those are some of the places that I want to go. It's funny. You want to come here and we want to leave. We want to go back, go back there. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so strangely enough one of my friends was uh was posting the other the other day i think he's getting um a bit tied up on the uh call it the corona coaster um there's there's, there's so many ups and downs on the on the on the journey um and he was asking where's where's free um and it's it's an interesting concept because I for for me I think freedom is essentially a state of mind. Um, it's not a state of location, um, but there's obviously certain locations which are more difficult to live in, um, and uh, there's there's certain freedoms in in certain places from a political perspective. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think a lot a lot of people on the um, on, on his status said that we're saying about how um, there's 
there's certainly more more freedom in like Texas and Florida. Um, so that that's one of the one of the places that he was he was looking at. So yeah, yeah, all those all those southern states are pretty much open up here in Canada. It's seems like we just keep going backwards where the whole world is going forwards. We just keep going backwards. But right. Well, um, I follow um, Nicole Arbor on, uh, on Instagram. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why that she, why she's staying in the States at the moment. Um, she, she was, uh, she, she was saying how, how she, she prefers it in the, in the States and, and things like that. So it's, um, it's interesting to see all these different governments are, are dealing with it, dealing with these new pressures. Yeah, I prefer it in Greece, right by the GNC. I think yeah. it's nice there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, if you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself at twenty years old, what would you tell yourself? Stick with it. It's all going to work out. Simple nice. as that. That's that's awesome. So, trust the process. Trust your decisions. Um, maybe stop over stop overthinking all so much. You don't have to make it so hard. You don't have to overthink things too much. But trust the process. You're doing well. You're going in the right direction. Keep going. Awesome. Looking back, would you change anything? My. My mistakes have led to some learnings. So I wouldn't want to take those learnings or remove those learnings in it in, in any way. Um, yeah, so I, 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 don't, I don't think I would. I think the, the, the mistakes that I've made aren't necessarily mistakes. They've just, like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm reframing my mistakes into learning opportunities. Um, and I've learned a lot of lessons along the way. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's all good. It's all good. That's awesome. Um, what keeps you up at night? Um, nothing really. I, 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 I sleep pretty well. Um, I'm, I'm pretty on top of my kind of sleep protocols. I'm kind of, I've, I've educated myself that sleep isn't a, you don't get conditioned to sleep. You don't get tougher in sleep as you get older because it's an ingrained habit. Um, you still need to look after your sleep, the, the way that you look after the sleep of a baby. So you need a nighttime routine. You need to switch off them, them, them screens. You need that clarity. Um, and you need to get your eight, nine hours in. Another, another benefit from, from, from COVID is when I didn't have like crazy early morning meetings um, and I didn't have to get up on the morning, I started to learn my natural sleep patterns and my natural waking up time was nine hours, 14 minutes. So I naturally want to sleep. I naturally want to fall asleep 
for nine hours and 14 minutes. Uh, and that kept on coming up on, I've got a, a sleep monitor on my, on my watch. Um, and I found it bizarre, like literally to the minute. It's like, not, it was, it was never nine, nine hours, 15 or nine hours, 13. It was always nine hours, 14 minutes. And I was like, that's some like biological genius. How your unconscious mind recognizes the optimum amount of sleep that you require. So now when I'm trying to fit my busy lifestyle around my sleep patterns and my recovery protocols means that uh, I've got a, <clears throat> I've got a set bedtime and I'll, I can start waking up on point. Um, so yeah, generally um, I'm aware and mindful over my mindset so that I can sleep peacefully. That's awesome. Not a lot of people can do that. I've noticed for myself, I have to force myself. But well, again, 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 it's, 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 if you, if you say you have to force yourself, um, what are the limitations that you put in place? What are the barriers that you put in? So what would then make it easier is sometimes submitting to the fact that I have a protocol. I know my body needs rest. How can I clear my mind? And a lot of the time, sometimes just writing ideas down, writing, writing notes down, getting out of those cycles, because you can guarantee if you've got something going round and round and round in your head, You'll repeat it six times. Why don't you just write it down once and then you can forget about it? Yeah. So it takes it out. Then it takes it out of the mental cycle. It's part of um, CBT, cognitive behavior therapy. So once you make something into a physical format um, and you can detach it from the um, internal wheel, going round and round in your head. So therefore you don't need to repeat it. Mm-hmm. So then you can start finding where that quiet is. And when you can find that quietness, then you can rest a whole lot easier. Nice. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, try doing that. Nice. <laughs> uh, where can people find more about you? Um, you can follow us on, on Instagram. You can follow us on Facebook. Um, if you just look for Coach Cadden on, on Facebook and Rich Cadden on, on Instagram. Okay. And we will post all your links with the show notes so everybody listening or watching can have easy access. All they have to do is just click copy or pay, copy and paste onto a browser and they can get direct access to you. Fantastic. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Of course. Uh, any final thoughts? Um, just thank you very much for, for inviting me on. Um, it's been an enlightening conversation. There's some great, some great questions. Um, let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you so much for, like I said, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I always love it when I can get a martial artist and an instructor to come on my show because it's such a deep conversation that we can have because it's like, we're not there. They're in martial arts instructors and and martial artists. They're not just these, you know, 
like people think that's you know chiseled bodies and all they do is fight it's we're a lot deeper because and it's always i always wanted to express that to people that there's diff, there's deeper levels to martial artists and That's exactly what I mean. That is exactly what I mean. And four hour work week, the, the tools of the Titans, Wim Hof method. Like all we do is we, we dig deep inside ourselves to be, become better. And when I can bring martial artists on this show and, and, and show people that we are more than just, you know, chisel bodies in in a ring beating each other to a pulp it's it's so much deeper so for you to come on my show i'm extremely grateful for you to be sharing your knowledge and everything that you do your past experiences where you're going with everything i have no doubt that you're going to be reaching thousands of people if not hundreds of thousands potentially millions of people and helping them so I'm so grateful for you to to come on and and share your your story with us. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, going through hard times is just a test. What you need to know is that when you get out of whatever you're going through, you will be stronger than ever before, and you don't need to go through it alone. Always know that you are not alone. Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours. Until then. To everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or a good night wherever you may be in this crazy world. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share this with your friends and family members. If you know of someone who is suffering from depression, please share this with them as well, as it may help them realize that there is help out there and that they are not alone. Also, Please be so kind and give us a five-star rating on wherever you may be listening and some comments as your feedback is highly appreciated. Thank you again for supporting our mission to speak out and find solutions about men's mental health issues and stay tuned for more amazing stories from real people that are just like you.